0: And the Energy Student Resources Portal, a wiki style collection of our work that's free for high school teachers and university professors to use in their classrooms. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. In this episode, I'll be talking with Jeff Dimbickey, an investigative climate reporter and author of a July 18th narwhal article How a Conservative US Network Undermined Indigenous Energy Rights in Canada. And he also has a new book, The Petroleum Papers, out in September. So welcome to the interview, Jeff. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. well i, I I'm really interested in this because you know energy readers will uh, media readers will know that I've been involved in the discussion around foreign funded activism uh, in Canada, the basically the accusation by oil and gas group uh, groups, and well they their boosters. That uh, U.S. Uh, funding of environmental groups to oppose pipelines and, and the oil sands in Canada is somehow wrong. Uh, there's even been suggestions that it should be made illegal. All of which is nonsense. I mean, you know, that was just nothing more than a an attempt by the oil and gas industry to suppress dissent. You know, that's they think they have a some kind of a moral uh, right to uh, to be free of of uh, uh, of uh, criticism, free of opposition, and I think that's nonsense. So here in your article, we kind of have the other side. So we have the the Atlas Network from the U.S. that is funding uh, right wing groups. You mentioned McDonald Laurier Institute. Uh, I think they've funded the F- uh, Fraser Institute. In fact, you mentioned twelve groups. So I'm really interested to hear your argument. Maybe that's where we'll start. Is if you can kind of give me give us a summary of the article you wrote in for the narwhal
1: yeah so i i think and just to say off the the top you know there's been a lot of focus in canada on on foreign funding of environmental groups and i've had issues with it that are similar to what you've expressed and and you know my the thing that I felt was most lacking about that narrative is that you know living in Canada we we have all sorts of ties to the U.S. there's investment flowing in both ways across the border and to only focus on one tiny sliver of that funding going to a few environmental groups and then saying this is a huge conspiracy just not an accurate picture of reality and so I've been interested in looking at all the other ways that um, cross border interests have proved influential in energy debates in Canada. And so I was, for this story, I was looking specifically at a think tank based in Ottawa named the McDonald Laurier Institute. And in their annual reports, they claim that they are quite influential. Um, in in helping shape how the federal government acts and thinks on things like energy and climate change and indigenous rights and a whole bunch of other issues. And also being in in the US, I've, I've been aware for some time of this organization called the Atlas Network, which is a coalition of hundreds of free market and libertarian organizations all over the world and they include some extremely powerful and influential groups. One organization, the Manhattan Institute, for example, has even helped shape the views of US presidents like George W. Bush. And so when, when I learned that the Atlas Network um, was creating reports about something the McDonald Laureate Institute in Canada was doing, I thought, that's. That's kind of interesting. Maybe I should look deeper into that.
0: Well, look, uh, you you raised the issue of the McDonald Laurie Institute claiming successes, or claiming that it's successful in, in influencing the federal government. Uh, and specifically here, we're talking about the liberal government of uh, Justin Trudeau. And I want to push back on that a little bit uh, because the... the um, tar sands campaign did exactly the same thing it had a website and and it was used as vivian kraus used to quote it all the time about how it claimed that it had you know influenced the federal government to not approve uh, northern gateway pipeline and of course it did because it had to it had to pump itself up a little bit it had to influence the optics you know that it, that it actually is doing something that it all that money millions of dollars that's flowing into it uh, through it to uh, organizations is actually doing something and uh, and knowing having uh, looked at a number of McDonald Laurier uh, re- uh, research reports You know, which are very pro oil and gas, very pro status quo, build more pipelines, expand production, you know, export this wonderful, ethical, environmentally friendly oil and gas to the rest of the world. You know, Canada's gift to the global energy. So blah blah blah. I mean, it's just it's you know, the the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers could have could have written that, and and then to see where the the Liberal government has gone since it was elected in October of 2015 it has made a it's a sea change the, the climate and energy policy uh, in, uh at the federal level is now significantly different it's on the economist i uh, interview say it is on track to get canada to net zero by 2050 we can debate whether that would happen or not but it's much more robust than it was so i would argue sir that in fact the mcdonald lauriers claim is actually nonsense and and they, they probably are not having a fraction of the influence that they, they claim. I just what do you think of that argument, Jeff?
1: Well, I, th- I think you're right that any think tank or organization that depends on funding from donors is naturally gonna wanna make the best possible case about its influence. And so I, I think you're absolutely correct in that. And from my perspective, as a journalist, the reason that I got interested in this story, and I'll I'll, I'll get into more of the, the details of it, too, is because um, I was given access to a report um, from researchers at an investigative climate organization called Dsmog that was produced by the Atlas Network, this US group. And the report was about the McDonald laurie Institute, this Ottawa think tank. And the Atlas report was making a lot of big claims about how successful McDonnell-Laurier had been um, in helping shape Canada's attempt to implement the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And so regardless of whether the influence that McDonnell-Laurier and Atlas claimed is true, here they are in a report saying that they had a very major role in shaping the federal government's response. And so I thought that's that's quite interesting because it's not an outsider claiming that these think tanks and organizations did all these nefarious things. It's these organizations themselves saying that they they influence public policy with the involvement of a powerful organization that's not even based in Canada, and so what I set out to do with my reporting was to figure out if those claims were correct, because I'm in the business of evidence-based journalism, and so I spent weeks and months reaching out to everyone named in these reports and people who are experts in these sorts of issues in Canada because I wanted to learn, had these groups been influential,
0: Right. And, and I think that's where your piece is really uh, useful in that uh, it shone a light on uh, an aspect of foreign funded influence on from the oil and gas industry side of things uh, and their, you know, the role that that money would uh, tried to play. In influencing Canadian policy, and particularly on UNDRIP. So let's talk about UNDRIP for a minute, because the you focused in on the uh, part of it that I thought was uh, still is a, is a matter of debate. And it's a very, very difficult one because under the Canadian Constitution, the the provinces have uh, exclusive jurisdiction over the the uh, extraction of natural resources. So that'd be you know mining and forestry and of course oil and gas. Uh, now that was you know that was 1867. That's the B- British North America Act of 1867. It's and it's been it, it codified then in the in further constitutional acts. But UNDRIP says that um, Indigenous communities have to have free, prior and informed consent. And there's a strong body, there's there's a a sizable contingent within the Indigenous peoples of Canada that see that as a veto. That it's yes or no. If we don't like it, you cannot build that pipeline over our our territory. And of course, you can see what, um, if that principle is enshrined in Canadian law, how difficult it could be, or it per- could be perceived as difficult for uh, to ex- uh, uh, exploit Canada's natural resources uh, so what's your take on that?
1: well I, I want to say right off the bat that I'm not an undrip expert, <laughs> nor have I ever <coughs> claimed to be and you're, you're correct that this issue of free prior informed consent is i it's it's a it has been a lightning rod but i think that that's that's not necessarily so much to do with the legal issues around it as it is to do with the way that this has been framed by organizations like McDonald Laurie Institute because i have read a lot of indigenous legal scholars who made who've made very you know nuanced cases in favor of free right. prior informed consent sure. and i said you know, this this isn't just a veto or not a veto. This is, you know, a baseline for creating a relationship between um, indigenous communities and the Canadian government, something that's been lacking for a long time. But um, in, in this report that I mentioned that was produced by the Atlas Network about the McDonnell Laurier Institute, there were sections in that report saying that, if, if UNDRIP were to be fully implemented by the Canadian government, including with these sections about free prior and informed consent, this, this could cause you know, massive consequences in Canada. And likely those consequences would affect the ability of companies to build pipelines, like you were saying, extract oil and gas, engage in all sorts of industrial, activities and so um over the years that undrip was being or that over the years the legislation to implement undrip was being considered by the federal government um legal experts with the McDonald Laurier Institute um would would testify to the senate or or submit um, materials, basically raising the stakes as high as possible around UNDRIP and free prior and informed consent saying this is going to have massive implications. And so that, that's kind of what I zeroed in on in my story.
0: Yeah, and fair enough. And I and I think the importance of this is uh, maybe not this is my point take on and then we'll get yours in a moment. My take is that the kind of work that these organizations do, McDonnell Laurie Institute, is not so much the effectiveness in their lobbying, but, but um, I think it's the um, contribution it makes in, in, in polarizing the Canadian energy conversation because we get into these false binary uh, positions you know where it's all or it's it's uh, you know phase out the the oil sands in uh, almost immediately or we uh, you know we need to as i mentioned earlier you know we need to exploit them and expand them and build pipelines and so on and so well, part of that would be you know this this uh, uh McDonald Laurier Institute's take on on UNDRIP and then pre uh free prior and informed consent. We keep we binary, we polarize things because in the media you know in, in public discourse you can't get into nuance and 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 so they they make these you know arguments into very blunt instruments and, and that i see is their main major contribution to this is is the further polarizing of the, the conversation what's your take
1: yeah I, I think so and i think in In something as complicated as implementing UNDRIP at the federal level, um, polarization is is a tool to maintain things the way that they already are. Because if you think that implementing this new declaration can cause massive economic disruptions, that'll that'll make you a bit cautious. And so there, there was a separate Atlas network report that I relied on for this story. that described a McDonnell Laurier Institute um, scholar testifying before the Canadian Senate. Um, And at one point there was a private members bill that was going to implement UNDRIP federally. That bill reached the Canadian Senate and a bunch of conservative senators essentially filibustered the legislation until it died. It couldn't be implemented. So there's an Atlas Network report from 2020 on its website um, sort of describing this and then saying the bill was defeated. And to me, I, you know, that that kind of raised my interest because I was like, here, here is this powerful US organization with hundreds of partners around the world. And it's, it's suggesting that one of its partners, McDonnell Laurier Institute, helped polarize the conversation enough around this that it actually affected federal legislation in Canada.
0: Yeah, my take on those conservative senators, uh, because I've, I've read uh, you know the writings and the social media posts of a number of them, is that they're very often, they're so pro oil and gas, that you can draw a direct line between the positions that that organizations like uh, like CAP uh, take or particular companies take or the think tanks like the Fraser Institute and McDonnell Laurier Institute take and then their behavior in the in the Senate and the bills they bring forward and so on, which are just some of them are are utterly ridiculous. And uh, and I tend to see them to some extent uh, as creatures of the of the industry, you know. Uh, appointed, uh, you know, senators who do the bidding of of uh, these corporate entities. But I wanted to address another uh, issue that you you brought up in your uh, in your Narwhal piece, and that is that the Atlas Network set up a center for U.S. and Canada that quote works with local civil society organizations on both sides of the border to create positive perceptions of the role of free enterprise. individual liberty, unquote. And I can't help but with think of the rise of the, you know, and again, quote, unquote, freedom movement in Canada, and the freedom convoy that occupied uh, Ottawa in February, and has been a thorn in the side of, of Canadian politics now for, for six months or so. It sure sounds like the Atlas Network is having an influence on that, and especially because we saw so many American politicians on the far right supporting that—you know—the—the—the the, uh, the convoy and the occupation. Uh, what's your take on the Atlas Network's uh, influence around freedom in Canada?
1: Well, it's it's in a very it's a very American <laughs> approach to politics. This this idea of of celebrating freedom and and individual liberty. And, you know, in in a sense, we we all want these things, but we've seen how that's kind of become extremely coded language in the US, especially under someone like President Trump. And so I don't don't wanna draw too tight a connection between what we're seeing in terms of populist politics And the convoy and the Atlas network seeking to increase linkages between right wing groups on both sides of the border. But I I would say, you know, it's it's worth paying attention to who some of those groups are on the US side um, that are that are part of this new cross border organization. One of those organizations is is the Cato Institute. It was co-founded by one of the Koch brothers. There's also the the Heritage Foundation that led campaigns for years disputing that humans are causing climate change. And it not long ago hosted a talk by former President Donald Trump. And then on the the Canadian side, we have organizations like McDonnell Laurier, Fraser Institute, that for years have attempted to import a more sort of American style. Aggressive, polarizing, conservative politics into Canada, and so I I think we should be concerned just in in the sense that, um, you know, now now organizations in Canada with a very conservative outlook are are deepening their connections to very powerful groups in the United States.
0: Right, and and I, I think there's been enough work done. Uh, pointing out the influence of those uh, right-wing groups in the. US in some of the you know in the in the problems uh, around the MAGA, the make American Great uh, movement that attached to to Donald Trump and the January 6th uh, assault on on, the, on Capitol Hill and and all and basically the, the an attempt to undermine uh, American democratic institutions and and then that's of, of course we I, this, What's going on in Canada just looks like a, a Canadian flavor of of that in an earlier stage, uh, from from my point of view, which is why I, I worry about it so much. Well, Jeff, thank you very much. This has been a, an illuminating uh, conversation. Uh, good luck with the the launch of your book in the fall, and we'll keep an eye on your work and maybe have you again uh, on again in the near future.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. And, and actually, I, I would just like to make one final and quick point before i depart which is um for this particular story um i i I did find a document saying that the atlas network had provided grant funding to what the mcdonald laurie institute was doing on indigenous issues i was never able to quantify the amount of that funding and we don't know for sure the exact dollar amounts that are going to some of these other groups in canada and so on the one hand i don't i don't want to overstate that or overplay it but i i do just want to bring that up to show you um like you introduced this conversation this idea of foreign funding of organizations in canada is happening all across the board and in many different ways and i just want to help show people that bigger picture so thanks a lot for having me on the show to talk about that
0: Well, you're welcome. Thank you very much.